Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. If you're visiting here with us this morning, thanks for being here. Hopefully, you've already been sensing that our goal here is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, who we worship, uh, who makes sense of life. And uh, we'll see that as we look into God's Word this morning. We are finishing up our multi-month study in the book of Daniel today. And... uh, We'll look a little bit at what uh, Pastor Phil was sharing last week and then to the final chapter. As we do that, could you please um, open to Daniel chapter 12? Really important for you to open to Daniel chapter 12 so that you can see for yourself God's Word, not just take my word for it. I want you to see for yourself God's Word so in your paper copy of the Bible or your electronic copy of the Bible, I invite you to open with me to Daniel chapter 12. All right, we all there? Are we all here this morning? It's a little quiet this morning. Is it because it's like foggy out? Do you get quiet when it's foggy? Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. This side is awake. This side, where are you guys this morning? Are you guys here? Not really. Not really. All right. Coach Hendricks, maybe we got to lead some calisthenics over there. How's that? We good for that? We can do that. All right. This will help. Let's stand and read Daniel 12. Daniel 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall come a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, these are angels, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. 
Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall find rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of these days. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Daniel's prophecies are coming to an end. Daniel 11, as Pastor Phil talked about last week, Daniel was revealed things that would be very difficult for Daniel to hear. Tough things for Daniel to hear at the end of chapter 11 there um, as Phil was wrapping up. And it starts out with some difficult things that Daniel was going to hear as we come into chapter 12. In fact, some things that Daniel hasn't even really heard before. And I think as we look at this text, we could, we could spend weeks just in Daniel 12. There's so much content here, but we're moving along in our study. Um, I think there's four things that I'd really like us to focus on as we think about Daniel 12. And in these four things we're going to focus on with Daniel chapter 12, it also is a somewhat great summary of the entire book of Daniel in a lot of ways. So we'll look at some of these themes that we've seen throughout our study of these 12 chapters. Four end of days, end of days truths for the child of God. Four end of days truths for the child of God. Truth number one that we see in Daniel chapter 12 is this, restoration. Restoration. So last week, Phil talked about a lot of history and a lot of things that were coming uh, that were prophesied to Daniel, and he talked about Antiochus Epiphanes and the campaigns of Antiochus that would be swept north of Israel and come through Israel and to the south of Israel, and it was just a horrible time for the nation of Israel that was coming as they were prophesied in chapter 11. And Phil didn't hit on this passage at the end of chapter 11 because of time, but at the end of chapter 11, it seems like the focus of the text moves from not just talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, but a coming man that would be like Antiochus Epiphanes. And most conservative commentators would refer to that coming man as the Antichrist. And that's how chapter 11 wraps up. And so as you look back at your Bibles at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time there shall arise um, Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation at that time. Okay, so there will be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation at that time. With the coming of the Antichrist, with the coming of the conclusion of God's program here on earth and how he's transitioning, there will be a great time of trouble. It's interesting, the book of Revelation, which is a commentary on the book of Daniel, helps us to understand that. It really goes into detail as to what that 70th week of Daniel uh, that we studied in chapter 9 really looks like. In Daniel 9, we talked about this coming seven-year tribulation period that will be over the whole earth. And in Daniel 9, you might remember that the Antichrist sets up a covenant to start that 70th week, that, that seven-year tribulation period, uh, as it's referred to. Daniel 9.27 says this, He, being the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many, that's Israel, for one seven, one of the 77s. In the middle of the seven, halfway through the tribulation period, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. 
And at the temple, he will set an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed out on him. Okay, so this, Phil was talking about that a little bit last week with Antiochus Epiphanes. He talked about the fact that Antiochus, who's like a type of Antichrist, went into the Jewish temple, sacrificed a pig in that Jewish temple to desecrate the temple. Remember Phil was talking about that last week? And interesting here, we're talking about a future time where a similar abomination is going to take place. Fast forward from Daniel 9, hundreds of years into the future to the words of Jesus himself, where Jesus said this in Matthew 25. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. Okay, so... Jesus is saying, sure, Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Jewish temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar, but there's another like Antiochus that's coming. And that abomination that happened with Antiochus Epiphanes is going to happen again, is what Jesus is saying here. The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, Jesus says, let the reader understand, verse 16, you see it on the screen here, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be for those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. We've seen some bad times in our world history. The tribulation will make all those seem lame, what that tribulation period is going to be like. Jesus talked about this coming abomination of desolation. Paul goes in even greater detail. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says this, you see it on the screen here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist. The man doomed to destruction. Verse 4, Paul says, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Uh, there it is right there. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself in God's temple. What's the text say? proclaiming himself to be God. So the type of the Antichrist, Antiochus Epiphanes, kills a pig on the Jewish altar, desecrates the temple. Jesus is saying there's another abomination that's coming during the tribulation period. You'll know the Antichrist because at the first half of the tribulation, it's difficult. It's, it's a difficult time for the world but not like the second half of the tribulation period, which is called the day of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation period. The first half of the tribulation is bad, but you got this man of peace who's on the world scene, who's making a covenant with the nation of Israel, and he's bringing this pseudo peace because probably the, the climate, the geopolitical climate of the time is so bad that someone comes on the world scene and says, I can fix this, and he does. But that man is Satan's man. That man, many won't know who he is, 
until like Jesus said and Paul said, there will come a time where in the Jewish temple, like Antiochus Epiphanes, he will set himself up to be worshiped. And he will say, like Paul said here, proclaiming himself to be God. That is when you'll know. That is when you'll know. So the Antichrist reveals himself, proclaims himself to be God. There'll be three and a half years of tribulation left. So look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there'll be 1,200 and 90 days, so three and a half years. So from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there's three and a half years. It's consistent with the book of Revelation that gives the same time frames. Now, all that to say that for Daniel, yeah, things were going to be difficult. Things were going to be bad. Things were going to be dark. In fact, as Daniel says and as Jesus says, the worst time that we've ever had on planet Earth. It'll be horrible. But it'll set up a time that is glorious. The time of the coming Messiah, the reign of the Messiah, who will restore the nation of Israel, and all those who have placed their faith in Christ will reign with Christ forever and ever. It will be a dark time for the nation of Israel, but a time is coming where we, with Christ, will reign with him forever and ever. That is a glorious end to the story, isn't it? Amen. We got some clapping this morning. Whoa. That's awesome. All right. That was not, that was not a illicit to get you to clap. That was just, I was just observing, just observing. Okay, it's a beautiful end of the story. We live in tough days right now, don't we? I mean, we've got some people in our crowd here this morning that have lived through more difficult days, like the days of World War II, that were just like, wouldn't even compare to the days we live in now. But these days are gonna be even worse. Here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you have access to the whole story, right? Like all you have to do, this is kind of cool. All you have to do is turn to the back of the book and find out, oh, we win, right? We win. You know, we don't live like that. We live like we don't know how this story ends. No, we know how this story ends. We've been told how this story ends. Now, maybe you've seen the movie The Princess Bride. Has anyone here seen the movie The Princess Bride? Okay, like 14 of you. All right. All right, fine. Um, we're still going with it. We're still going with it. Um, so, um, if, I think a lot of people have seen The Princess Bride. So, if you were from another country, and you'd never even heard of the movie or the book, The Princess Bride, and you came to America, and the first book you were handed was not the Constitution, it was The Princess Bride, right? And that person, no knowledge of The Princess Bride, they have no clue anything about Princess Buttercup or anything like that, all right, they're handed the story and they're reading through the story and they get to the part where Wesley is captured, okay? 
and he's put into the machine of death, right? And this dude with the long white hair lifts up the lever and sucks one year out of Wesley's life, right? From the machine of death, right? You guys remember that? And then later, later in the story, the really jealous prince, he says, you know, do you love Buttercup? And he says something about true love, and then he lifts it up all the way, right? And it's gonna suck 50 years out of Wesley's life, right? And you can imagine in that story, if that person who had never read that story before that was coming from a different country, what would you do if that person slams that book shut or turns the screen off and says, Wesley's done for, it's over. He's never gonna recover from this. This is a horrible story. This is horrible. Why would you even make me read this book or watch this? This is horrible. If that person said that from another country, you would probably say to that person, um, you might want to keep reading, right? Just keep reading. Just keep watching. Just keep watching. Because why would you say that to that person? Because you know how the story ends. It's a story of redemption. Man, believers all around us. Unbelievers all around us are saying things like, man, this is horrible. This geopolitical climate is horrible. We're done for. This story of earth is a horrible story. And yet sometimes even as believers, we're right there with them like, oh man, you're right. This is really bad. Like, can it get any worse? Guys, we know how this story ends we should be living in the reality of the fact that this story, even though it's dark, moves to something glorious. Literally believing that Christ, the literal God-man, will literally be reigning here on the earth in a day in the future here. Literally believing that. Knowing that all the things that we see right now, there's so many things happening behind the scenes that we don't even know about that God is working to achieve the fact that Christ will be reigning here on earth. Coworkers, they should see that reality with you. You know how the story ends. Hey, students in school, your classmates should know by how you interact, that you know how this story ends. It should be visible. It should be seen. We know how this story ends. It ends in restoration. It's a beautiful story. Truth number one is restoration. Truth number two is resurrection. Resurrection. Daniel could look forward to the restorative time, but also look forward to the resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. We see this in verse 2, Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Resurrection. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. We're going to park there just for a second here. So in the Old Testament, excuse me, in the New Testament, 
we are inundated with truth about the resurrection, are we not? Like there's so many passages where Jesus is talking about the resurrection or the apostles are talking about the resurrection. Like we are the benefits in the church to receive all this great teaching in the New Testament about the resurrection, that thing that is to come where we all get resurrected and are somewhere for eternity. Like we know these truths. The Old Testament saint... Not so much. Not so much. In fact, as you look throughout the Old Testament, you see hints of the resurrection. Little like nuggets that like kind of like allude, but don't like really like lay it out there, like really lay it out there. This is one passage that lays it out there. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, this is the only place in the Hebrew Bible that uses the term everlasting life. This is it. One verse in the whole Hebrew Bible uses the words everlasting life. But it's an awesome truth. It's an awesome truth. Every person's body that has ever lived on the earth is resurrected. Did you know that? Every person's body who has ever lived on the earth, every person is resurrected. Every person. Sometimes we think, well, you know, Christians are resurrected. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches every person is resurrected. Where do we see that? Acts 24, 15. Paul said this, there shall, be, there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Acts 24, 15. Jesus said this in John 5, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. John 5, 28 to 29. Here in Daniel, what does it say happens to the people that are resurrected? Okay, so everyone's resurrected, the good and the wicked. Everyone's resurrected. Here in Daniel, what does it say? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ to save them. Listen close. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ to save them, evidenced by their fruitful living, are resurrected to eternal life. Those who have rejected God's salvation, as evidenced by their lack of fruit, are sent to everlasting judgment. Just one more time. Those who have placed their faith in Christ to save them, evidenced by their fruitful living, are resurrected to eternal life. Those who reject God's salvation, as evidenced by their lack of fruit, are sent to everlasting judgment. There should be evidence of your salvation. Like we've mentioned before, in every church, you've got people that believe and people that believe they believe. Can I just maybe say a couple things relating to that? 
Praying a prayer does not get you saved. You can ask Jesus into your heart all you want, and it doesn't mean you're saved. Trusting in Christ as the only payment and sacrifice for your sin and trusting in him alone, not you and your good works, is what saves you. Trusting in Christ as the one who paid for your sin on the cross and trusting in who he is and what he did is what saves you. Coming to church and saying prayers and coming to studies hasn't ever saved anyone. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, I don't know who you are. Teens, don't be duped into thinking that because mom and dad are Christians, you're a Christian. God has no grandchildren, only children. It's evidenced by your fruit. Now you can get into some discussion on, well, how much fruit and for how long should you see this fruit? You know, those are the discussions that people have. Hey, you better see some fruit. And for too many people, there's no fruit. And for years and years and years, no fruit. You should take that very seriously. For the believers of Daniel's time, this truth here that there's a resurrection would have been mind-blowing. Like this is the first time in the Hebrew Bible that you use the term everlasting life. And the, the Jews reading this for the first time would have been like, oh, wait a minute. We're going to live forever? That's what the text says. It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. You put your trust in Christ, you live forever. As sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you, fellow believer, will be raised from the dead. You will not be an angel. You'll not be a floating spirit. You will receive a glorified body that is fit for eternal life. Who is the prototype for what our life will be like? The scripture makes it clear. The prototype for how we will be is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His most dear apostle, John, said this in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be like him, not God, but we will be like him in our bodies. Paul said this in Philippians 3. Who, Christ, will transform our lowly bodies so that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. We may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. So your glorified body will be a body, but a significant upgrade. All right? I mean, not that some of us need it, but... Uh, Forget it. <laughs> an upgrade. An upgrade. Okay, so because I think sometimes like when you talk to new Christians or um, maybe just haven't spent a lot of time in the Word, um, that sometimes there's this erroneous thinking that when you get to heaven, you become an angel. Not true. Okay, you don't become an angel when you get to heaven. Sometimes you'll hear baby Christians or even non-Christians say, well, you know, hey, they got their wings. No, no, no. No one gets wings. 
We don't become an angel. God created the angels once and that's it. No more angels to be created, that's it, done. So you will not become an angel. Some people think, oh, I'll be like this floating dude that just kind of floats around and like, yo, and I'm just floating and like, you know, spirit thing, floating forever. Now some of the Bible teaches. What's the Bible teach in the passages we just read? The prototype is Christ. How he was resurrected, you will be like. Okay, how he was resurrected, you will be like. Okay, so, but it's still a body. It's still a body. Um, see this cell phone here, this ancient cell phone? Like, this Motorola, like back in the day, was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was all, I had one of these. It was so awesome. I loved it. It was so cool. It was like, you know, 2000, 2001. And like, you'd have this like little contraption, this thing, this cell phone. And like, it like rang and you'd be like so excited, right? <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hello? It was like so like, wait a minute, like, like I can talk to like anyone with a phone anywhere in my city, like whoa, anywhere in my city, that, that is amazing. And it's only $10 a minute, that is awesome, sign me up, sign me up, right? It was like, whoa, and, and you were like, this is like the epitome of technology. It's like, can't get any better than this. This is like it. This is it. We've arrived. This is it. We're done. Technology's over with the Motorola flip phone. It's, it's done. And then you got this thing, right? You got this thing. Like, my goodness. This is a phone. This is a phone. But you know what these things do. Back in the day, you were like, Man, this is so awesome. And you might be thinking like your life here and your body here is like so awesome. Like could it get any better? Believer, can I just tell you? They don't even compare. This is what your heavenly body is going to be like. Yes, an iPhone, not an Android, an iPhone. <laughs> Oh, we had some people walk out. Oh, okay. Right. Got to wean them out anyways. Good, good. No, no, no. Just kidding. It's like half our tech team. Don't leave, guys. Um, but but not even apples and oranges. And sometimes we might think that, like, heaven's going to be, like, so boring. Like, we're not even going to have Wi-Fi in heaven. It won't even compare your service to Christ for eternity and the things you're doing for eternity. They won't even compare. You think, you think it's great here? It's not. It's not. It won't even compare. And I can't wait. Your glorified body will still be a human body, but so much better, so much better. And maybe you're wondering, well, like, like what? Well, 
just real quick, was Jesus talking with people in his glorified body? Yeah. Did, did people recognize Jesus in his glorified body? Yeah, they knew that's Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, you got anything to eat? In his glorified body, right? Hey, you got some fish? I'll take some fish in his glorified body. And when Jesus needed to get from A to B real quick, he just did it. He just did it. I'm talking to the Emmaus disciples, but I got to be in Jerusalem. I'm gone. His glorified body. We don't even understand how amazing eternity will be. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Restoration. Resurrection. Readiness. Readiness. The angels that are dialoguing with, with Daniel are speaking about the restoration of Israel, the resurrection from the de- dead, and Daniel finds himself asking um, <laughs> questions we would ask. Daniel finds himself asking in this chapter questions we would ask. Hey, when's this going to happen? And what will be the outcome of all this? You see this in verses 6 through 8, 6 and 8. One of these things going to happen, what will be the outcome of these things? Um, additional details are given, but the angel eventually says to Daniel in verse Nine. Verse 9, 12, 9. The angel says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. This is a polite way of saying, Daniel, we're not going to tell you anything else. This is it. We're not going to tell you anything else. This is it. You know, we want to know when to. We want to know how to. We don't know the whens, and we don't know all the hows. You know, God's word has opened up the veil just a little bit, but there's so much more that we don't understand, we don't know about. But did you know this? Everything that God wants you to know and everything you need for life and godliness, he has told us. You don't need to know anything else. He's opened the curtain just a little bit. You can live a life of godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. You can live a life according to his will. You've got everything you need to know and everything you need to be a successful Christian right now. You don't need anything else. It's all found right here. It's all found right here, right in his word. He's given us the sure prophetic word. And this is all we need. You don't need to look anywhere else. It's all found right here. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Did you hear what Jesus just said there? For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field, one taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. Jesus is not talking about the rapture here. He's talking about the severity of judgment. How swift and severe the judgment will be just like in the days of Noah. 
What Jesus say in verse 42? Therefore, because it will be like that, therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starts out with that. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 says they will be saying peace and safety, and then perilous times will come on them unexpectedly. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Everyone will be saying peace and safety, man. The Antichrist has created this, this geopolitical environment where, wow, for the first time in centuries, things are peaceful, things are safe. People are saying, boy, it's a good time to be on planet Earth. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that's when the day of the Lord comes. So Jesus says, be ready. He's coming at a time you don't expect. Readiness points to the reality of relationship. Readiness points to the reality of relationship. If you're not longing for the Lord to come, and this world is increasingly less and less your home, I'm sorry, this world is increasingly less and less your home, right? That's a good thing. It shows your heart for the Savior. Let me say that one more time. If you're longing for the Lord to come, and this world is increasingly less and less your home, that's a good thing. It shows your heart for the Savior. It means you want Christ to come back. If you're not longing for the Lord to come, and this world is increasingly more and more your home, I don't think that's a good thing. It shows you don't really have a heart for the Savior. In fact, repeatedly, Jesus talked about the fact of readiness and that there's two groups of people on earth that are, that are present at the time that he comes, those that are ready and those that aren't. And those that are ready are ready because they're longing and waiting for Christ to come. They want him to come back. And it doesn't mean that they're living in some hole somewhere waiting for cataclysmic events. It just means they're ready. They're stewarding their life well, ready for Jesus to come back. And the other people that are like, man, I, I kind of like life here on earth. I kind of like my big house. I kind of like my cars. I kind of like my 401k. I kind of like everything, my security here on earth. I'm putting all my hope and my security and all my stuff. That's not ready for Jesus to come back, which doesn't mean if you have that stuff, it's wrong. It doesn't mean that. It just means where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your hope? You gotta be ready. You gotta be ready. Because, yes, there's restoration and because there's resurrection and there's readiness, but there's also reward. Daniel 12, 13. Look at that, please. Daniel 12, 13. But go your way till the end. You shall find rest. That's a euphemism for death. You shall find rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Interesting phrase there. Stand in your allotted place to receive your inheritance, another translation says. So Daniel would pass away, or as the Bible says here, rest, but then he received his allotted inheritance, or another way of saying that, his eternal rewards. The greatest of all eternal rewards is given to every believer. It's Christ himself. It's the greatest eternal reward, Jesus 
to be with Christ forever and ever. It's the greatest reward. Every believer also receives an eternal home, a place to reside with Christ forever and ever. But the scripture also seems to indicate that the believer will also be extra blessed based on the stewardship of his or her life. How you use what was given to you. We receive our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things well done in the body, whether good or bad. He's talking to believers here. The judgment seat of Christ is for the believer, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ the Greek word for judgment is bima. So sometimes you hear the phrase the bima seat. So the Greek word for judgment is bima. Sometimes you hear the phrase bima seat. Um, this is not a place of condemnation, but of evaluation. Jesus is going to evaluate your stewardship of what he's entrusted to you and how you've stewarded your life will matter. In God's providence, how you stewarded your life matters. Now, these rewards are not necessarily how you and I think of rewards. Christ sees all. He sees our hearts when we go about our tasks. He knows why we're doing what we're doing and for whom we're doing it for. This is why in God's economy and how Christ is going to pass out rewards at the Bema seat or at the judgment seat of Christ, the president of a country could potentially receive fewer rewards than the little elderly old lady who's a prayer warrior who receives so much. Right? And that's exactly the way you want it to be. It means many in the kingdom will be last that you should have thought should have been first. And many that are like last are first in God's economy, which means this, the stewardship of your marriage, your parenting, your service in church, being a student, being a, working at a job, being an at-home mom, being an at-home dad. You might think that, man, I'm... Will I get rewarded? I'm not, I'm not a missionary. I'm not doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm just home changing diapers. Understand this. The stewardship of your life is what matters. What God has called you to and the faithfulness in those moments, whether you're a biochemist or you're a teacher or you're a pastor, how you steward that matters. It doesn't matter if you're a a welder or whatever, how you steward your life matters. How you steward it, that's how you'll be rewarded. And it'll matter. It'll matter. Why is that? Because somehow in God's administration of the future, there will be responsibilities and a lot of your responsibility in that eternal state will be reflected on the rewards that you have. So it's like this. It's like if you're on a championship sports team and you win the championship as that sports team, everyone on that championship team gets a ring, right? Everyone, even the trainers, everyone gets a ring. But only a few get some special rewards. MVP, most improved, because of how they stewarded 
their athleticism. And the same will be for you and I. It'll matter. It'll matter. For in a day truths for the child of God, restoration, resurrection, readiness, reward. Can we bow our heads as we wrap up this morning with a time of communion? Just pause just for a moment. Think about some of these truths we talked about this morning. Are you ready? The coming of Christ? Are you stewarding your life well? Likely there's things that need to be tweaked, changed. Would you be willing to make those changes to be better prepared for the return of Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you know, I do not have a relationship with Jesus. Friend, don't leave here today without talking to someone about whether or not you know for certain you'd spend forever with him. Do not leave today unless you've talked to someone about that. We'd love to share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior. Father, thank you for these things you've pointed out to us in your word. And now, Lord, as we come into a time of communion together, help us to focus on the blessings we have in the person of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.